0: You are Locked On Raptors, your daily Toronto Raptors podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 115 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, April 5th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley, at raptorshq.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean, and the show is on Twitter as well, at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single show. Locked On Raptors is also part of the Locked On Podcast Network, as you probably know by now, and it hosts team-specific shows for all 30 NBA teams as well as Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd and Locked On NBA with David Locke. And you can find those all together on the Locked On NBA iTunes channel. Also over on the Locked On NFL channel, the draft coverage is really gearing up. Every team show will have lots of draft coverage for you know from the team-specific focus. And then uh, the Locked On NFL draft show will have daily coverage You know, covering prospects and looking at what's coming up with the draft next month or the end of this month. It's coming up pretty soon, so uh, make sure you check it out. Uh, You can find our show as well, Locked On Raptors, on iTunes. You can leave a rating or a review on the iTunes page. and would really appreciate the feedback there. It's the easiest possible way for you to help out the show and show that you care. So please do that. It would be greatly uh, appreciated by me. On today's show, I am joined by Adam Johnson of DLeagueDigest.com, who uh, is the editor-in-chief there. And we're talking about the Raptors 905, who are starting their playoff uh, run today. Uh, With a road game in Canton, uh, the first of three games, we get into the sort of bizarre playoff format in the conversation with Adam. Uh, It's very informative. Adam knows his stuff about the D-League, of course, and I'm like barely educated on it. I tried to read up a little bit today. Uh, Shout out to Blake Murphy for his great preview on Raptors Republic. You should go check that out if you're interested as well. And also listen to the podcast today because Adam's a smart dude. And uh, we went over the sort of, uh, you know, the developmental curve for this Raptors 905 team, what Jerry Stackhouse has done this year. Uh, we chatted about the series with Canton, sort of how their D-League assignees might play into it, and you know whether or not the weird playoff format leads to more upsets. Uh, lots of stuff we got into today. Really enjoyed this one, and I hope you enjoy it too. Tomorrow, again, I'm going to have Chris Zielinski, who is the executive chef of the Air Canada Centre. Uh, really excited about that show. Uh, it's going to be a fun one. I'm recording it uh, Wednesday afternoon, it'll be up Thursday sometime uh, and yeah, I'm going to talk about all about arena food and uh, what goes into the best arena food possible and how you become the executive chef of an arena. Uh, lots of stuff with Chris tomorrow, so please stay tuned for that. But I'll get to the conversation now with myself and Adam Johnson of D-League Digest. Once again, you can follow me on Twitter at WoodleySean, the show at LockedOnRaptors. Leave a rating or a review. Uh, and please email LockedOnRaptors at gmail.com if you have any questions, concerns, comments, feedback, or advertising inquiries, anything like that. LockedOnRaptors at gmail.com is the place to go. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again on Thursday, and uh, have a great one. All right, joining me now on Locked on Raptors to tee up Raptors 905's first-ever playoff run from D-League Digest is the editor-in-chief, Adam Johnson. How are you, man?
1: Uh, Pretty good, Sean. Thanks for having me on. always appreciate it.
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, really happy to have you. The D-League playoffs got started tonight. Just checking out the scoreboard right now. The Maine Red Claws beat the Fort Wayne Mad, Mad Ants uh, 110-106 in the first game, I believe in overtime here. Uh, Tyler Hansbrough, 29 points and 20 rebounds. Shout out to uh, former Raptor Tyler Hansbrough with that. That's, uh, those are some gaudy numbers. Um, but we're not here to talk about Tyler Hansbrough. We're here to talk about Raptors 905, who had the best record in the D League this season. I think 39 and 11, the second best record in D League history, um, which is kind of crazy for a team in its second year of existence. Tell me, Adam, like, how often does a team kind of find success this quickly after being formed in the D League?
1: Uh, Well, you look at some of the other recent um, expansion teams like Westchester, um, Delaware. uh, It's interesting because it's not like an NBA expansion team where you kind of have to build from the ground up. Each season is sort of its own encapsulation, Mm -hmm. you know, because you have such high turnover in the D League. So you can have like an overnight change. Very quickly in the D League, to say the least. Um, Westchester, in its second season, the next D League affiliate, made the playoffs in its second year, too. So it's not out of the realm of possibility, but to break a record, you know, or nearly break a record or tie it rather with 39 wins, the second best record in D League history, um, says a lot about the organization, the investment they put into it, and certainly Jerry Steckhouse, what he was able to accomplish this year. So it's not outside the realm of possibility. Look at other teams in the playoffs, namely in the Western Conference. Um Oklahoma City Blue and Santa Cruz Warriors. Um they were you know sub five hundred teams last year. In fact Santa Cruz was one of the worst teams last year. They barely won thir- nineteen games. Mm-hmm. Um this year their record was flipped, they're thirty one and nineteen. So it can happen pretty quickly in the D League.
0: Yeah, I guess it totally depends on, you know, assignees from the from the parent club and all that stuff and who they're drafting in the first round or second round and, and putting in there. So uh, it totally makes sense that it'd be quick turnover. You mentioned Jerry Stackhouse, and he took over for Jesse Mermis this year. Mermis went to be an assistant coach on Luke Walton's staff at the Lakers. And what's sort of the buzz about what Stack has done with the nine hundred five team? Because I was kind of skeptical when it when it first happened. It didn't really seem like Stack was all that serious about coaching. But you know, the more you read, the more you hear him talk, it really seems like he's dedicated to really trying to learn. And uh, it's nice that he. It's interesting too, and it's also like kind of refreshing that he went the D League route and wasn't just handed a job immediately. It seems like he's really sort of invested in, you know, really improving his craft and honing himself as a coach. And what's sort of been the buzz about what he's done this year uh, to be such a successful coach with the nine hundred five.
1: Well, it, it's an interesting trend that's kind of taking place now in the NBA and rather the D League. You'll have assistants, existing assistants on staffs, actually. Go, I don't want to say down to the D League because that's sort of a negative connotation, but decide or willingly go to the D League to be a head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, usually it was the other way around. You'd have guys who would work and grind in the D League looking for that opportunity. Now you see guys willingly on the NBA side want to prove themselves as a the head coach. Uh, Matt Brazzi, who is in uh, the Rio Grande Valley Vipers affiliate, he was on the uh, Houston Rockets staff for mm-hmm. a number of years and he, he was there, became the head coach last year. Um, there's a number of guys like that who are, are making that turn. Noel Gillespie, the Greensboro Swarm head coach, uh, was in Denver Nuggets staff, and now he is you know, the D, D-League head coach for the Charlotte Hornets affiliate. So it's it's sort of a trend, and Jerry Stafford's just a part of it, kind of wanted to prove himself well, and what he wants to do. Um, but, I mean, he's had amazing success in a first year. I think there was some doubts um, about you know, how can a player, certainly of his caliber, too, translate to a head coach. You know, the saying goes, as cliche as it is, those who can't teach, you know, so... And he certainly had, a, a, you know, quite the career. But I think that sort of lends itself to credibility too because he, you know, he's been there, he's done that. But the D-League itself is this whole different grind, to say the least. It's not, you know, there's no luxury, uh, you know, amenities. You know, it's, it's bus rides, it's connecting flights. Um, it's, it's a grind, to say the least. So the fact that he bought in completely, it sounds like, um, and what he was able to do just speaks volumes about what he wants to do. And, and you know, it's interesting because he has gone on record saying he wants to be an NBA head coach mm-hmm. straight from the D-League, which has never happened before. You usually get a guy who's going to be an assistant, um, get that promotion uh, to join an NBA staff. He was already there, I believe, with the Toronto. So it's kind of yeah, yeah. where he's going to go back from this. Um, again, it's never happened before, but um, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see at this point. I think um, you know it, it's certainly not out of the question, given what he did accomplish. But yeah, I, I don't know if anyone will buy into that transition just yet, because I want to integrate someone into their staff.
0: Yeah, Kevin Arnovitz wrote his sort of annual sort of looking up and coming coaches a couple weeks ago. It might have been last week. And Jerry Stackhouse was one of the guys that came up there and he mentioned that like he's not far from sort of hitting the interview circuit and that doesn't guarantee a job by any means. But that's uh, kind of interesting and maybe this is a new route that Uh, you know, coaches can maybe sort of try to go to, you know, maybe establish themselves, sort of get the ins and outs of being a head coach as opposed to an assistant. Uh, I think it's interesting, and it's sort of a, it kind of mirrors what the Raptors have done with their team. I feel like they've kind of used the D-League team in a a way different way than most teams have. Obviously, they're they're at the luxury of just having it, you know, a 20-minute drive down the road, Um, and they've been able to, you know, have guys play in the morning for, like, an afternoon D-League game and have them called up to the big club at night. And I think Jakob Pertl this season was was one of the first guys to do that, where he played in both the D-League game and a regular season uh, NBA game in the same day. Um, so that's helped them a lot. And I think the Raptors have just kind of been creative with, you know, just shuttling guys back and forth, uh, doing things like that with Pirtle, you know, Jared Sullinger for a time went down for a little rehab stint, which I don't think we often see in the D league. How have the Raptors kind of used their team differently? And do you think more teams are going to start doing that as more teams are kind of getting their affiliates really close to their, where their home, you know, where their parent club is based?
1: Uh, I mean, I don't know if they're using it any differently than most other teams. Okay. Yeah, they have, You know, you can get a little three or four assignment players in there. Usually they'll take – there's a little bit of a hierarchy when it comes to D-League teams. You know, those assignment players take those minutes from yeah. the existing guys. Um, but, I mean, it, it really lends itself to be, you know, 20 minutes away, as you mentioned, as opposed to a place like uh, the Miami Heat where they're in place in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which is, you know, not ideal, but they've made it work. You know, they they make it work somehow. Uh, I think it's I think it's great what they're doing. You know, Fred Van this year, 32 minutes per game, while the Raptors 9 5 shooting 40%. Not great numbers, but it's, it's an opportunity to get run that you wouldn't get otherwise. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what's important, really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's look ahead to the playoff matchup here. The Raptors are taking on the Canton Charge, which is the Cavs D-League team in the first round. And, you know, for people who aren't aware, it's a kind of an interesting playoff format where it's a three-game series, and the first game is actually on the road for the, the lower-seeded team, and the final two games are at home. Tell me, Adam, Like, how often does this sort of three-game setup and, and the sort of home-road split, how does that, you know, is it conducive to more surprise upsets in these in these D-League series, or is it still kind of usually go chalk the way it would in the NBA?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, realistically, when you're looking at some of these seedings, um, you know, these teams are just a game or two apart from one another. So, you yeah. know, when you have a one-seat and a four-seat, there's really a game difference. In fact, the main Red Claws, who played the four-way, four-way madness and won tonight, you know, the Madness actually had a better record, but because the Red Claws, you know, won their division, um, they were able to secure that number two seed, which right. is, you know, ever important. Um, I, th- I think, you know, no, there's – there's does it does lend itself to it's two upsets, to say the least. Um, you know, you've got a team come in, um, get that first win, and, you know, punch the other team in the mouth. It, I mean, it is interesting, though. You know, there's – I asked uh, Santa Cruz Warriors head coach Casey Hill about this, whether he preferred if series were longer in terms of best of five, maybe – um, he likes the way it is. There's actually, according to him, less strategy that goes into you know a three-game set. You go in, get out, and be done with it because the series is done within a week usually. So yeah. um, it's it's very interesting to say this. But, yeah, you do have upsets. Um, I will say, though, uh, for your listeners, um, I do wish uh, the D-League would go back to his previous playoff format, which was um, the top eight teams, regardless of conference, would make the playoffs. Right. And the top seeds got to choose their first-round opponent. So that, that was interesting to me. They got rid of it about three years ago. Um, I wish they would go back to it because it lent itself to having a uh, you know more credible regular season.
0: Yeah, that sounds just like fun too with like a team just picking a team that they want to play and like the sort of animosity that might create. I don't know that's a, that's a fun little wrinkle too. oh, I, oh yeah, you know yeah.
1: bulletin board material. certainly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, they want
1: to play us and it, you know and it, it creates that sort of animosity like you said yes.
0: Absolutely. Um, so yeah, the Raptors take on the Canton Charge, and the Canton Charge are going to have the help of a really good uh, D-League uh, assignee in Kay Felder, who has been with the Cavs for a good chunk of the season, but has also put up just ridiculous scoring numbers. I think he's averaging about 30 points a game uh, with uh, with the Canton Charge this season. How does that sort of throw a wrinkle into this matchup? Because without K. Felder, obviously, like, that's a huge scoring threat that's just not there. Um, and the Raptors are going to have Pascal Siakam and you know Bruno Caboclo is just like a per- permanent assignee there. And if Kyle Lowry comes back this week, maybe we see Fred Van Vliet uh, sent down as well for the two home games. Um, so that's sort of looming over this series as well. But, um, you know, how is the addition of Felder for Canton going to change the series? Does it sort of, does it add to the potential of an ups- upset here for Canton?
1: I mean, I'm surprised you're not going to mention Larry Sanders, who's also on assignment.
0: Oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> okay. Wow. Larry
1: Sanders will be on assignment as well. But regardless, uh, you know, Kay Felder, he's played 11 games this year with the Canton Charge, uh, averaging uh, it's 29, yeah, 30 points a game for them. It, it's been crazy remarkable. Although, you know, he does kind of take over when he gets in there. He's a right. high-volume shooter, so he does – I don't want to say he's playing selfish because, you know, realistically that team's built around – it's meant for him. Um, but, you know, it's, he's a high-volume shooter – um, he's got a lot, a lot of ISO. He can attack the basket. Five foot nine, very athletic, very fast. Um, it's going to be quite a challenge for you know some of the 905 guards to attack him, to say the least. But he's, he's going to bring it. Um, it it's just going to be a very interesting. I'm more curious about some of the front court matchups that they have. You know, with Eric Orland and C.J. Leslie. That's going to be very interesting, to say the least. That's the matchup you really want to watch if you want to watch this uh, series. C.J. Leslie has been absolutely phenomenal. He you know can stretch the floor. He can post up. There's, he's very. Versatile. I think if they rely on him and he does well, um, that's going to spell very but a lot of success for the uh, nine oh five this this postseason. But Kay Felder, uh what more do you need to say? You know he, he's done very well for them. Only shooting thirty six percent from three point range. They might want to let him just shoot from there. Um, only you know, on five attempts per game. Um, but remarkably, he's not going to the free throw line as much as much as he attacks the basket. Only uh, eight attempts per game. So it remains to be seen. But I think it's going to be a formidable challenge. Like I said, you know it's a three game series. Anything can happen. I mean, even if, you know, the home court advantage thing does ruin, does make things a little bit interesting because the first game is on the road for the top seed.
0: Fair enough. Uh, so for Raptors fans who might be tuning into the D-League playoffs, you know, not really having watched much D-League basketball this season, uh, who on the Raptors 905 interests you the most when you tune into them and who should they be kind of keeping an eye on?
1: Uh, I, like I mentioned before, C.J. Leslie right. has been absolutely phenomenal for this team. Um, he's been terrific. Can't say enough about him. Uh, he's been, you know... He's a guy who can spread the floor on them for offense. He's got great presence in the defensive floor. Um, been been fantastic for them. He's kind of the guy that they've weighed on a bit. The thing about the 905 Five this year is that they've kind of they don't have volume minutes guys. And what I mean by that is you know a lot of guys in their roster play less than thirty minutes a game. Mm-hmm. You know they're a very very deep team. Um, Brady Heslip, as I'm sure you're all familiar with, up there in the uh, Great White North, I think is what yeah. you call it. Um, assassin shooter. You know loves to shoot three point. What they like to do a lot is drop the ball into CJ Leslie in the post, let him go to work, and if he can get the bucket, if not, kicks back out to Heslip for the three. Um, very, very effective to say the least. E. Tavares, you know, former Atlanta Hawks Center, seven foot three. In a league that is undersized, like the D League is, um, it's very advantageous to see, you know, someone like Cam succeed. You know, he was barely playing at the beginning of the year, I think eight to ten minutes a game, maybe even fifteen barely, because he was claimed off of waivers mm-hmm. by the nine oh five. Uh, but he's been phenomenal as well. So when you have a guy who's, you know, six inches taller than the next player on the court, um, and with his wingspan, it lends itself to some success in the defensive end. So those are the two guys I would keep an eye on as far as success. Axel Tupon's another one. Criminally underrated. Criminally underrated. I know, I think Jerry Stackhouse has gone on record saying the dealer's prospect watch uh, is a joke. <laughs> um, so, so, and that's because he's, uh, you know, pining for his guys, rightfully so. Axel Tupon's another guy. Um, arguably probably their best player, as much as I've... Uh, Gush over C.J. Leslie, um, another defensive force. This team is rooted in defense. Like it sounds like I'm just, you know, it's all I can go to. But they are the best defensive team in the league. And you know, two of the, the last two champions in this league um, were the top defensive rated teams. So in, a, in what is perceived as a run and gun, offensive minded league, you know, the defensive games uh, win out. So that that's that's what you need to focus on here. If they can lock in, be defensive. That's that's where they're going to find their success. Don't expect. You know, 120, 140 point games from the Raptors nine hundred five. It's not going to happen,
0: but that's okay. You mentioned this sort of egalitarian sort of you know division of minutes for these guys, and and I'm wondering like how do you think that's gonna? Will that be changed in the playoffs by Stackhouse? We've seen the NBA all the time, just like you know the the rotation will shorten up to like eight guys, and uh, teams will roll with that. And obviously, Raptors nine hundred five have more than eight guys they can go to. Um, I mean, they're down Will Sheehy, who's been a really good player for them this season. He, I think, dislocated his elbow or something like that, uh, so he's out for the playoffs, but, you know, they have a lot of guys on this roster who can contribute and have contributed over the course of the season. Uh, do you expect Stackhouse to kind of limit the guys he's playing in these, you know, really super tight, you know, high leverage games? I,
1: I mean, it's hard to argue with the process when he went 39-11,
0: Right. so yeah. <laughs> I'd
1: be, I would be inclined to say he just rolls with it. You know, yeah. maybe if they are loaded up on assignment guys. Maybe he relies on them a little bit more. Um, but I, I'd be hard-pressed to see that he diverts from it. You know, this is what's worked for him. This is, you know, how they've found success this year. It seems to work. They've maintained their health throughout the year. I think, you know, you can argue that playing lesser minutes uh, has provided them, you know, to, to maintain their health. And, and that's why they have such a great record. Um I don't see them deviating from that because I mean, D-League rosters are only ten players deep. Right. Yeah. So it's it's not a fifteen-man roster like in the NBA. So you have ten active players and two inactive players on roster at any time. So I mean, if you've got that depth, why not why not show it off? I mean, if if it doesn't work out in the first game, maybe he tightens up when they're on you know on the brink of elimination if it gets to that. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't I don't see him deviating from what's worked so far this season.
0: I have to ask you while you're here about Bruno Cabaclo, who has been a mysterious kind of guy who kind of has been out of the mind of the Raptors for most of the season. He kind of comes up once in a while. He'll be a human victory cigar here and there uh, when the He's Raptors. In a big block, right? Yeah, exactly. And of course, people sort of always sort of harken back to, oh, he was the 20th overall pick. You know, Rodney Hood was drafted after him. A bunch of like, Clint Capella was drafted after after him. And the sort of missed opportunity to take those guys when, when Bruno uh, was the pick. I've always been kind of defensive of the Bruno pick. I just think. You know, taking a different route and sort of, you know, exploring a new avenue for potentially developing a talent, like I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's an outside the box sort of way the Raptors have approached, you know, trying to develop Bruno. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but it's the twentieth overall pick. And it's not like the Raptors are any worse off that he hasn't developed. I mean, they've drafted pretty well. Other than that, I mean DeLon Wright, Norm Powell, Jakob Pertle, all these guys, even Pascal Siakam started for this team for the first half of the year. And so the Raptors have been able to get by and not been, haven't been like hampered by, you know, not having Bruno be productive at the NBA level yet. Um, and so what, what's your sort of take on Bruno? Like, do you, like, first of all, like the development, like, has there been any development from him this season? I think in the little glimpses, of, glimpses ah, sorry, glimpses I've seen of him, uh, his defense looks very real. Like, he's so, like he's like seven feet tall at this point, and I just think, that that's you can't just teach that and his length is so absurd and I do think he's just sort of getting the sort of nuances of defense down a little bit better and obviously you know he hasn't been a detriment to the defensive you know sort of minded Raptors 905 team this season um so what do you think about Bruno's development like is there any sort of hope for him to be a rotation player in the NBA down the road well
1: to your first point about the draft picks and kind of uh Reaching, I think it was Howard Beck who wrote an article on Thon Maker earlier this year kind of discussing, you know, what the risk-reward is on taking players like that. And when you're a team like the Raptors who have, you know, have found success, you know, do you really argue with Masai Ujiri when he tries to, you know, go outside the box? When he was discussing, um, when Howard Beck was discussing, I think Giannis Atacupo and that reach mm-hmm. um, for him, for an unknown guy, this unknown quantity, you know, what do you do with that? And, and so I think this is sort of a similar vein. Yeah, I don't think it's going to really work out when you talk about development his minutes have actually gone down this year he averaged 34 minutes last year now it's down to 27 minutes pretty um hard to say usually you would expect those those assignment guys to be boarding on 35 36 get as many minutes as they can right um he's still shooting the same amount about 40 percent from the field um, he's just i it, it, say he's working against him you know he's six nine uh, he can handle the ball fairly well um i don't know if he's going to be a rotation player you have to remember also he's you know, only 21 years old um I think you know. I think he's under two hundred pounds, though. So I, I mean, yeah. I know, I know. You know, the the cliche is muscle watch in the off season, but <laughs> I think, I think you know, you might want to add Bruno Caboclo to that list if he's going to remain with the Raptors. he's, he's got a little bit, little get a little bit stronger uh, to maintain uh, any sort of development at this point. Um, I think it was Francisella that said two years away from two years away. Yeah. Um, so I mean, what is he now? One year away from the two years? No.
0: Yeah, he's, I, he's I, in not, his not third year, year yeah so he's, he's in I his mean, third year now. so he's got one year left on his rookie deal. and sort of the thing I look at too is if he does sort of show some stuff next year, maybe he flashes the potential to be a backup rotation guy on the NBA team you know, you could find a little bit of an inefficiency there where you're coming into a second deal, he hasn't proven a thing, and instead of paying him a lot of money like most guys going into their second deals do, you know, maybe you're paying him at a really discount, you know, maybe like league minimum price to be on your, uh, on your roster and then potentially have him become a real rotation player for you for a really cheap cost uh, down the road. So that's like a nice little thing about this sort of development curve he's on is his second deal is going to be cheap no matter what, if they decide to sign him to one, of course, but... Um, but yeah, even if he doesn't make it to the NBA, I still think it's probably fine.
1: Yeah, I mean, I he could be a candidate for a two way contract when those come up. I know they come up next year, but he still has a year on his deal. Is that right? Oh
0: uh, yeah, yeah, he's got one year. Yes, yeah,
1: so, yeah. So I mean, I mean, to your part of being an you know, expensive uh, asset, you know, if he's willing to sign a two way deal, he can make up to two hundred seventy five thousand dollars a year. I don't know what he'd make overseas in respect to that because he hasn't really shown much of anything yeah. at this point. Um, but it remains to be seen, yeah, you know, typically in the D-League, when you have guys who are on assignment for a full year like this, ideally it's one year you're in and out. Yeah. Um, a good example would be the Houston Rockets. I'm going to go back to them. Um, three years ago it was Clint Capella. Yeah. Um, last year it was Montrez Harrell. And this year it's Chinano on Oaku. Right. They, they just really rotate bigs out. They do it. They do it very well. They do it very successful. Um, each organization is going to operate a little bit differently. But, I mean, ideally, you know, after season – Of observing and scouting and researching a guy and their habits and their abilities and what their ceiling is, I guess you you should know at this point what what he's capable of. Um, I mean, there's things that we don't see that we don't hear. You know, how I'm not saying he's you know not effective in practice or things like that. Um, But you know, he's been around the the organization for three years now. I mean, hopefully they have an idea of what he you know is capable of at this point.
0: Yeah, that's totally fair, and if you want to be critical of the pick too, I understand it, and it's tough when you talk about a guy like Capella who's just starting on a you know fifty-plus win team at this point. It is tough at times, but I, again, I don't think it's all that you know meaningful for the Raptors' long-term trajectory, whether or not Bruno turns out or not. If he does, it's a nice bonus. Last one for you, Adam. Uh, what what's your sort of you know, prediction for the D League playoffs here. Do you think the nine hundred five are a team that uh, can go all the way and can can win a, a D League title, or is there a team elsewhere? I know the Oklahoma City Blue are a very good defensive team. They're right with the Raptors at the top of the defensive rankings. Are they a team that's kind of scary and could potentially uh, you know beat the Raptors in a in a final, or is it just kind of fruitless to pick because of the short series format that it's kind of hard to uh, you know it's kind of like the NCAA tournament, like trying to you know predict when upsets are going to happen is nearly impossible.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, the one thing it can lend itself to is you know previous matchups in the year mm. when teams play two or three times. But even then, you know, if they played in November once, you know that roster is really different from the end of the year because of the roster. Two hundred guys getting call ups, guys leaving for overseas deals. Um, so it's really hard to see you know what how the playoffs are going to turn out. Obviously, consistency reigns key. Um, I'm not. Big, I try and avoid predictions. Fair enough. <laughs> of, for that for that reason, because you know it's it's hard to kind of quantify and and know exactly what's going to happen, but if you, if, you really, if you really want to put a gun to my head, please
0: don't. Um, <laughs> Why would I do that? I,
1: I don't know. I don't know how you would do it through the power of the internet, but you probably have have <laughs> somehow. Um, I, I mean, I'm all in for the Raptors 905. I will say this, though. Um, the, the 905 came to Santa Cruz one time this year, mm. um, and the four years I've been covering the D-League, that was probably the best game from beginning to end I've ever watched, uh, from, from, from tip-off to the final buzzer. Um, and that says a lot. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. But I, mean, but I mean, it, it was an incredible. It was very intense. Two of the top teams in the league at that point. It was, it was amazing. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing that again for three more games, possibly. So Santa Cruz Warriors Raptors nine of five. That's my pick.
0: All right. I uh, heard you here first, Adam. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can people check out your work? It's D League Digest. Is it gonna be. Is it gonna be different next year? That it's gonna be the G League. Uh,
1: you know what? I I haven't told anyone this. Um, it there there might be some changes coming. So you're hearing it first. There might be some changes uh, coming with the uh, G League uh, name change. So we, it remains to be seen. Um, got some stuff in the works, maybe. I'll leave it at that. This but, is yeah, the first
0: news to ever be reported on this podcast, just so you know. we are breaking <laughs> new ground here. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, there, there could be some changes coming. I can't really divulge yet. Um, but, yeah, you can find us at DLeagueDigest.com or on Twitter at DLeagueDigest as well. I'm at J underscore NDAGL for the new G League
0: Ahead of the curve, alright, I like it. I know I, I, gotta, I,
1: gotta, I know, I know they're in high demand, the NBAGL uh, Twitter handle, so I've got I to stake it early, you
0: know. <laughs> oh man, Adam, this was a lot of fun, and hopefully uh, as the playoffs go on, if Raptors 905, uh, you know, uphold your prediction and make it to the final, maybe we can check in again. Oh, I'd love to. Alright man, take care. Alright, thank you very much for having me.